I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. We're two siblings who love to talk about our childhood and nostalgia and how it shaped us into the people we are today. Who are pretty tall, if I do say so myself. Welcome to How Did We Get Weird. So, Jonah, I was thinking about how when we were growing up, we lived like right next to this like incredibly cute kind of old timey area called Chagrin Falls. We did. We grew up next to Chagrin Falls. I used to go there a lot as kids. Chagrin Falls famous for a few things. Number one, Bill Watterson, who created Calvin and Hobbes. He grew up there or he lived there for a long time. And I think he like didn't really do press. Yeah. But I remember reading it. I think he did some press later in his life, like more recently And he used to sign books and leave them at Fireside Books, the local bookstore. But then I think he stopped doing it because people were selling them on eBay. Got it. Got it. There's also the very cute popcorn shop in Chagrin Falls where you could get their famous popcorn balls and also ice cream and other kinds of popcorn. And it was like a very cute looking store from like the 50s, it looked like. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. I I kind of idealized it. And then me and my wife, Vicky, went back there recently and fluorescent orange popcorn and stuff is not like as an adult, it just seems kind of gross. Well, unless you like cheese flavored popcorn, because that's kind of. Yeah, color. but they have like fluorescent green. Yeah. It's very a lot of intense colors. Maybe the colors of the popcorn weren't like that when we were younger. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe the technologies come along <laughs> with the food coloring tech. Yeah. Then, of course, you have the falls themselves. Yes. Chagrin Falls. Chagrin Falls. And it's very blocked off now. Like, I don't think you yes. can really get down there. But when we were kids, it was much more unsafe and you could climb up the rocks, go under the falls. There was like a little kind of like 
weird area with like maybe people lived under there. I don't know. But it was like kind of like weird stuff under there. You could really explore it, walk around. People would jump off the top of the falls into the water. Really? Yes, for sure. There was like an abandoned kind of building there and people would jump off the roof of it. It's not there anymore. But yeah, I mean, it was kind of like anything goes down there. This was probably in like the 90s. And the 80s too. Mm -hmm. Did you ever go into the falls? I don't think I ever did. I think I only ever watched them from the side. Yeah, I did. I did at some points for sure. Did people go across the top part or the bottom part? Like above? where the falls I didn't go across but I went into that little kind of cave on the side kind of near the stairs wow but yeah I mean it's it's cute town a lot of restaurants and eateries a lot of restaurants eateries it's changed a lot our guest today spent some of his early years there I don't think he would recognize maybe some stuff he'd recognize but the last stuff I remember was like the ski house and all of these kind of like one-off right kind of spots that are all gone now it's a little more corporate but yours truly is still there is dink still there i don't know really interesting to our listeners <laughs> <laughs> dink was also a band from cleveland like an early 90s band that had like kind of a crossover kind of in the vein of nine inch nails dave's cosmic subs yeah that's a more recent chain i think okay well but they do have a jenny's ice cream down there which i, I was pretty impressed by yeah so yeah if you're in the area check it out <laughs> <laughs> Today's guest, he's a guitarist, singer, producer. You know him as a lead guitarist in Fall Out Boy. Also, he has some great side projects, The Damn Things, With Knives. He's a creator of the animated series, Mondo Trasho, 3042. Co-writer of the new comic, The Axe, with Brian Posehn. And he has a memoir coming out on September 13th called None of This Rocks. Let's give it up for our friend, Joe Troman. Hey, Joe. Hey. It sounds like Chagrin Falls was really glowed up <laughs> from when I was there. There's <laughs> a Jenny's ice cream. It's gotten a glow up. Yeah. It really has. It's got a cosmic subs and a Jenny's ice cream. And there's a Starbucks there now. Jesus fucking Christ. I know. <laughs> Different than when I was there. Joe, what period of your life did you live in Chagrin Falls? It was pretty early on, right? Kindergarten through the beginning of middle school. Okay. okay. And then I moved to the Chicago area. And did you go to Chagrin Falls schools? I went to Chagrin Falls schools, but I lived in South Russell. It's like middle to lower middle class, a little more rural by comparison. Some of it kind of, at least I recollect, reminds me of some of the British countryside, like rolling green hills, but then also trailer parks and had it all. Had it all. At least I remember there being kind of trailery kind of vibes. Do you talk to anyone? Because I don't think I knew this when we met, but I found out from our friend, Zach Ieski, mm-hmm. who interned for me at Alternative Press. I played in bands with his older brother, Ben. And then I think at one point he was like, yeah, Joe, I like knew Joe from when he lived in Chagrin Falls. I was like, what? Were you into punk and stuff then? You're probably too young. No, that's how I got into it. I got into it then through a guy named Aaron who is my friend. We were both strange, weird outcasts. And he was standing outside of school telling everyone to listen to his demo tape. And so I was like, yeah, let me listen to it. And it was just a bunch of other people's songs. And it was very obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what grade was this? Oh, man. It was like fourth grade, something like that, you know? Okay. And from there, we became friends because I also was very insecure. And I liked whatever music he was playing. So I was like, tell me what you're listening to. So he got me into like everything from like Black Flag to Quicksand. I don't know where he was getting his stuff from because he was adopted. He had no siblings. I'm the oldest brother. So I don't have an older sibling to get me into cool stuff. Right. I discovered everything through friends or television. Yeah, he got me into punk rock. We used to play no effects covers together in his basement. It was fun. And yes, I hung out with Zach Gajewski. He's the last person I have talked to from that area. I am in contact with nobody else from there. Not because I've tried not to, but also, you know, I haven't tried 
It's been a <laughs> long know? time. It's been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but even after like I left, this is, you know, early internet or early enough to where like we weren't as in contact with each other as we are now to a detriment. When I left Ohio to go to the Chicago area to Illinois, I was very sad because those were my only friends, but we like never talked to each other again. That was just it. No one reached out to me. I didn't really reach out to anybody. There were no letters written. Again, we were too young to use email and probably email wasn't as prevalent as it is now, which is a weird thing. That feels old to say. (laughs) And that was it. That's the end of it. And by the way, speaking of Bill Watterson, my eight-year-old is reading Calvin and Hobbes regularly. She has all of my collected editions, which they say Joey Troman on the inside. I've written them all in there (laughs) or use a label maker to put my name on them. And on the back of one of them is Calvin in downtown Chagrin destroying the popcorn shop. Really? It makes me wonder if Bill Watterson felt the same way about Chagrin that I felt or feel. (laughs) I didn't have a good experience there. So Yeah. I mean, now it would probably be Bill Watterson drawing Calvin outside Jenny's ice cream, eating like a $19 ice cream cone and checking TikTok or something. Checking his TikTok, yeah. That would be cool. (laughs) That'd be an interesting take on Calvin. (laughs) He's not pissing on anything. Yeah. That was Bill Watterson, right? <laughs> yeah, I think he got paid for all that stuff. Yeah, he got paid for the pissing. Yeah, that was officially licensed stuff, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he loves that. Yeah, he's psyched up. <laughs> Did you stay in Chicago as an adult? I moved to Chicago right after college, and I found that so many people that I knew from growing up in Cleveland were then in Chicago. So that was like a way that I reconnected with people without even kind of meaning to. That's cool. I was in the city. So I was in the suburbs. I was in Winnetka. Okay. From middle school through high school. High school is when I started going to like punk and hardcore shows in the city. So I was often like getting on the L train and going into the city after school on the weekends. Most of my friends were actually not people I knew in high school, but people I met at punk and hardcore shows. So I was like going and like Saying it like at a friend's house in like Naperville or something. Right. I didn't love living in the North Shore. It was just a little too highfalutin. Yeah. I'll say it's nice. It's very nice. You know, I remember seeing God Rest His Soul, Harold Ramis during Halloween trying to fit into his Ghostbusters outfit, which is very sweet. He would do that for the kids. That was one of the coolest things about living in the North Shore. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. Outside of that, then I lived like after high school, I lived like in different parts of the city until I left to go live in New York. Got it. Which is probably when I saw you at some point, Vanessa. Yeah. And when you recommended your therapist who I started going to. Do you still see her? I don't. Since I moved to LA, I stopped seeing her, but she was great. Did you stay with her until you? Yes. Oh, she's a great therapist. Yeah. Should we plug her? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I thought about that before we did this podcast and I just... (laughs) I wonder if she wouldn't want to be. Oh, I think it's very inappropriate, right? Yeah. (laughs) But the thing is also, it's like I'm in school to be a therapist. Like you have to be licensed in the state. So it's difficult to have clients outside of the state. Right. I talked to her on the phone for a while after I moved here, but it was just. Same. It was too weird. Yeah. Too stunted. And then I found somebody out here that I love and happily ever after. But it was hard not going to her anymore because she was so great. She's so great. And that's weird, like breaking up with a therapist. Oh, It's so hard. Do you ghost or do you actually have a conversation? (laughs) I was back in New York and I like did it in person. I like had a session with her and then at the end of the session. And she said to me, you did that beautifully. Or maybe I did it at the beginning of the session, actually. And then we talked for the next hour. She's so lovely. She's so great. The thing that I really loved about her was she was kind of like the age of like our moms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it felt sort of like talking to a mom, but 
she was like, definitely not your mom, but. Of course, no, there's a maternal aspect to her, especially for me, since I grew up with a very non-maternal mother. Mm-hmm. Anytime I find someone that's maternal, I'm like, I'd latch on to them immediately. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah, she was great, but she was a good therapist. Yes, she was great. I say was, I assume she's still alive. <laughs> she's she still doing therapy. I checked in with her at the beginning of COVID to see how she was doing. And she said she was doing fine. That's great. I should reach out to her. But I won't. (laughs) (laughs) So, Joe, you moved to Chicago. Was that because your parents got a new job or something? What kind of took you away from Chagrin? My dad, he's now retired. He's a cardiologist, cardioelectrophysiologist. So, Do you know where he worked when he was younger, when you were in Cleveland? The clinic, the Cleveland Clinic. Oh, great. Incredible. Yeah, Yeah, great hospital. World-renowned hospital. World-renowned, yeah. So he was at the clinic. So I was born in Florida. He worked at a hospital there. Florida Hospital. I don't know the (laughs) name. Then we lived in Philadelphia, worked at the hospital there, then the clinic. And then he got a job at Rush Hospital in Chicago where he ended up running cardiology before he left and retired. Wow. So my dad is very accomplished. Well, Joe, you're also very accomplished. Yeah, but he has degrees. I can't hang any. Like, my walls are bare. I have no diplomas, nothing. I have a high school diploma. I should bring that up. Last night I watched your episode of MTV Cribs. (laughs) 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 Everyone's like, Joe's almost spit out his coke. (laughs) It's like Joe Troman's Chicago townhouse. And it is so funny because you're like 25 or something and it's younger probably younger you look so young and it's like so funny because you're like yeah this is like a wall of moss like i don't know it's pretty cool our interior designer came up with it and it's just like toys and guitars like everywhere <laughs> and it's just so funny to watch now still there's a Guitar right next to this computer and behind the computer is a wall of toys. Okay. So I haven't changed that much. I was most impressed by you had these drawers that like you push in a little and then they like close themselves. And I was like, we had that technology. I've never seen that technology now. That's in a lot of houses, Jonah. It is? Yeah. Honestly, it's not expensive to install. We bought this house. Flipper had done the kitchen. Terribly. It's still the same. We haven't done anything to it. But we did put in those kind of like, there's a term for them. It's not self-latching, but whatever it is, it's a uh, quiet door. You can't really slam them closed, right? Because you like close them. You throw it and then it's like stops itself and slowly finishes. Jonah, that's in like a lot of, like I would say. Really? Yeah. You could do that. That wouldn't be that. I I put in toilet seats that are like that. That are kind of the slow. Right. Yeah. So it's, I didn't know you could do it for drawers, though. Yeah, just don't put toilet seats instead of doors in your kitchen. <laughs> don't do that. That's not going to work. <laughs> Buy the right stuff. But you can do it. Yeah. It's not expensive. It really isn't. Okay. Wow. <laughs> you could glow up your kitchen. I could glow up my kitchen. Give your kitchen a glow up, Jonah. Jonah's favorite term. We did an episode with Bone Yang and I had to ask him what glow up meant. And it was like very embarrassing because I feel like I'm kidding the age where I just don't understand terms. And I, yeah. I'm there yeah. and I'm trying to like learn them and then use them just in conversation. And it, I just sound like an old person. Like, yeah, just vibing with this thing, you know, just, <laughs> just trying to, um, you know, I realized I was listening to, I was working and I was listening to Portishead on cassette. <laughs> okay. I have a cassette still of, <laughs> of a Portishead cassette that I've had for forever. I'm sitting there, I'm like, ah, I feel very comfortable doing this. And then I started feeling sad, realizing like, I don't even have a foot in attempting to like point towards the future. I'm just stuck 100% in the comfort of nostalgia. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, this is where I'm at. I'm going to die here. I'm going to die in all my old stuff covered in my old crap, just not knowing what is hip, what is cool, what is new, what's happening in the world. I'm dead. I should just die. That's 
That's where I got to. Well, all I was doing was listening to music. And I went on that journey. Your kids will bring all of the hottest trends into your house. My oldest daughter says bruh to me all the time. She calls me bruh. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're going to just go to fucking uh, New Orleans and just go get blackout drunk. You're acting like an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> bruh. Get out of here. That's not the thing. <laughs> they're growing up with like California lingo too. Yeah. Like I feel like they're going to say hella and things like that just regularly and I'm going to tense up and go, oh, this is just how they talk out here. Well, you know, it's interesting because it's like, do you feel like if you tell them not to say something that will make them want to say it more? So you just try to like back off? 100%. Yeah. Unless I start to take something away from them. Yes. You can't watch TV if you keep calling me bruh. But that seems harsh, doesn't it? It is harsh not to get TV. It's like <laughs> a basic human right for them. Our mutual friend, Stephen Smith, he, I remember him telling me when his kids... Oh, no, Stephen. Yeah, Stephen. I like Stephen. It's having thought about him in a while. Yes. Steven's doing great. Is he doing good? Yep. And his daughters, he didn't want to show them cool music when they were born because he thought if he showed them cool music, then they would rebel against it and not like it. He had this whole theory about it. So he tries to keep them away. I don't know. They're older now, maybe. How does that work for him? Because for me, my kids just find the music that they find that's popular, that's being played everywhere. And that's what they like. And I try to show them other things, like sneak stuff in. They mostly like it, but they don't like ask for it again. Like even just like I played, I forced, my oldest actually goes to therapy, which is great. And it's a bit of a drive. We have to drive from the east side of LA into the valley. So, you know, it's like on a Thursday afternoon. So we're sitting in traffic. And so I made her listen to the White Album. Okay. I put on the White Album. So I'm like, you don't really listen to the Beatles. These are like the kind of like blueprints for good songwriting, for good songs. Great songwriting. Some of the best I've ever done. She enjoyed it. But then afterwards, she just wanted Olivia Rodrigo. She didn't ask yeah, to right. listen yeah. to the Beatles. Yeah. It's not clicking yet. I remember my parents playing the Golden Oldie Station in Cleveland. And it was just all like, it was Beach Boys. It was pretty much the, only the Beach Boys. <laughs> and yep. I love the Beach Boys now. But I did not want to fucking hear the Beach Boys ever again for the longest time. But remember how Uncle Jesse was friends with the Beach Boys? And then the Beach Boys would come on Full House. Yes, the Mike Love era of Beach Boys. Yeah, it was a version of them. It's the Aruba, Jamaica version. <laughs> yeah, it was a dark time in their career. Jonah, do you know what I'm going to say? What? You did a book report once, or you did some kind of report in middle school. I don't know if you remember this, but you played that song, the Aruba, Jamaica song. Kokomo. Well, I do know my first cassette was a cocktail soundtrack, which had that song on it. <laughs> yeah. It's so cute. <laughs> that was your first cassette. But you played it in the background while you gave a speech to your class. Do you remember doing that? I don't remember doing that, but I do remember that soundtrack. So because it had Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. Huge. It had Kokomo. I mean, it had like all of the songs like an eight-year-old wanted to hear. <laughs> it probably so was not aimed for an eight-year-old, but yeah. No, not no at all. cocktail? No, that's not for an eight-year-old. I don't think so. Do either of you have the Wayne's World or the Ninja Turtles 2 soundtrack? Because I was into both of those. Definitely Wayne's World. Definitely Wayne's World. What was on the Ninja Turtles 2 soundtrack? Uh, that was uh, Vanilla Ice's uh, Ninja Rap. The Turtle Power one? Yeah. Ninja Rap. <laughs> yes, of course. Do you remember how the Ninja Rap went? Ninja. Ninja. Rap. Go. 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 Go ninja, go ninja, go. That's yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of that, and there's probably other lyrics. Was that the song where they talked about how they displayed turtle power, or that was a different one? Uh, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure they fit turtle power into there. Yeah, they had to. I'm sure there were like studio stipulations for <laughs> Vanilla Ice and say you got to mention turtle power, pizza, shredder. <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> this actually really like dovetails nicely into our topic, but that will be after our next break. So stick around. 
From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. And we're back. Joe, really quickly, before we get into our topic, I wanted to show you something that I found. Okay. I don't know if you see this. Oh, yeah. This is a metal name tag with my name, and it says, New York Stock Exchange Closing Bell Ceremony, Fall Out Boy, January 21st, 2015. Yeah, we rang the bell. Capitalism, baby. <laughs> yeah. I was writing a cover story in your guys' alternative press, and I was following you around for a few days, and the weirdest thing that happened was going to the stock exchange and you guys having to meet all these traders on the floor and it was like you and the whole band just coked up <laughs> traders too they're all like just like jack the fuck up at like seven <laughs> in the morning and i'm like whoa you guys need sleep they all needed sleep but they were making money baby trading court <laughs> futures when i was there i remember talking to one of them and being like i pictured there being like papers everywhere <laughs> like <laughs> the movie wall street and they were like right no we use like computers and it's 2015 right yeah, you forgot what year it was <laughs> now we're all informed by the movies we've seen yeah Yes. And so speaking of the movies we've seen, Joe, today on the show, you wanted to talk about inappropriate movies. Yeah. <laughs> we've all experienced them, especially as kids. You know, can you just sort of just jump right into sort of your story about maybe, you know, your parents and inappropriate movies? I have two stories about inappropriate movies. Both are from my parents. The first movie I remember being shown was by my mother. I was seven. And she told me to sit down. 
she put on The Omen at seven years old. The Omen? The Omen. The Omen, like the horror movie. Yeah. Where they have the son of Satan. <laughs> yes. Right. It's so funny because when you said she told me to sit down, I was expecting something that had more of like a life lesson in it. <laughs> no, not for my mother. No, no. The life lesson was this is what suicide is. There's a moment where, you know, the nanny goes like, yeah, do anything for you, Damien. Ah! And then, you know, thrust herself at the top of a, this is a church steeple or a school or something. And then she just hangs herself in front of everyone for Damien. I was like, oh, that's what suicide is. Right. Not that, I mean, I wasn't thinking of, that was the first time I started thinking about it. Then the next, both my parents sat me down. They go, we're going to watch a movie. And this is like, then, you know, I was eight. We're going to watch a movie called Poltergeist. And I go, what does Poltergeist mean? <laughs> and we say ghosts. And I go, is it going to be scary? And they go, No. <laughs> Is scary, by the way. <laughs> at least at that time. Like now when you rewatch, I've rewatched Poltergeist. It's still a great movie, but the effects like definitely, at least some of the practical stuff is cool, but like the ghosts and just some of the effects don't hold up. Like, I don't know why I did this. I showed just a photo of the ghosts to my daughter and she's like, that's not fucking scary. <laughs> like, that's not scary at all. Out of context. Yeah, the context of like current CGI, current effects are just way right, better. Right, right, But that movie terrified me terrified of me. Of course. Yeah, I think I had nightmares for years between both of those things. So those are the first two movies I remember my parents sitting me down to watch. But I actually love horror movies. I'm not turned off by them at all. I'm actually obsessed with them. Well, maybe that's what they were trying to foster was a love for horror film. God rest my mother's soul. I don't think she has had a thought in her head about <laughs> what was happening there. <laughs> I think she goes, I want to watch The Omen. Come watch The Omen with me. That's it. Right. And at this point, you're still Joey Troman in Sugar Falls, right? Yeah, Joey Troman in Sugar Falls. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Would you watch like Disney movies and stuff too? Or like you hadn't seen that stuff yet? Or We didn't do Disney because my parents, both Jewish, were vehemently in belief that Walt Disney was an anti-Semite, which there's conjecture there. But so we didn't grow up with a lot of Disney stuff. I mean, we watched like when Lion King came out, we went and saw it in the theater. But I didn't grow up watching the classics, really. Interesting. Right. But I don't know if your parents were this way as well, but they believed everybody hated Jews. <laughs> well, I think all Jews are that way. Right. I mean, everyone <laughs> does hate Jews, but like... <laughs> no, I mean, all Jews think that everyone hates Jews. Yeah, and I think to a degree, <laughs> there's some truth there. Yeah. There's also not truth there. Recent years have taught us there might be some truth to that. But nonetheless, my parents, I think it's because like, at least on my dad's side, like his grandparents came from like Russia occupied Poland where they're like escaping pogroms. So I think there's a lot of that, like everyone hates Jews. They're like, everyone hates Jews. And then they just pass that down and down to where like everybody hates Jews. So there's a lot of that, like fear built into everything. And that bled over into being able to watch Disney movies. That's interesting. I mean, we didn't watch a lot of Disney movies. I don't think it was because of that, but I don't remember seeing a lot of them growing up. I think I did, like when there was like The Little Mermaid was out or whatever. You're right. We didn't own them and like play them in our house that often. No. The one that I loved the most was Beauty and the Beast because of the French element. That is very attractive to young girls. Yeah. My daughter's the youngest, the four-year-old is very into it. It's so fancy. Yeah. It's so pretty and fancy. Yeah. It's so pretty and fancy and there's so much French language in it. So anyway, I liked Beauty and the Beast. But you're right. We weren't like a big Disney house. Like we didn't have it a lot. And we went to Disney World once when we were pretty young. And then I remember asking to go when we were older and our parents being like, you're too old. <laughs> <laughs> That's the weird thing is my dad took us to Disney World like a fair amount. Oh, wow. Okay. So I feel like it was really contradictory to <laughs> their belief system. Yeah. So I remember one time my junior year of high school, I was supposed to do like a junior thesis on Kurt Vonnegut. 
And so I wrote the thesis. It was a good thesis. And I turned it in. And then my dad took me out of school for like a week to go to Disney World. And then she gave me a seat because he took me out of school. Wow. <laughs> yeah. She didn't like me because I often spoke up. That was around the time where like I was like becoming friends with all these like very like politically left leaning like punk rockers and hardcore kids are reading like the people's history of the United States and all these like, this is really what happened. This is really what was going on with slavery. So I'd be like, oh, actually, that's not true. I read in this book. And she'd be like, <laughs> fuck you. Just let me do the lesson plan, you fucking <laughs> asshole. So I think that. I'll bled into it, but going to Disney World might have been the last drop. We went so much that now living in California and taking my kids to Disneyland, I'm like, this place kind of sucks. Yeah. By comparison. It's kind of small and dinky by comparison. By comparison. By comparison. Do you think it's because of your age or because you think Disney World is just better than Disneyland? I remember Disney World just being better. I mean, it's bigger. Obviously, there are multiple parks. You have to drive to each of them. But even when you're in one, there's just more space to walk around. Right. I'm not saying they're shitty on their own. They're fun. We actually took my kids recently and we got up early to go uh, to California Adventure. I got to take my oldest on her first ever like real roller coaster. And that was such a fun experience. I thought she was going to cry at the end. At the end, she just is sitting there, her eyes wide open, looked like she just seen a dead body. And she's like, I want to do that again. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. Well, I was trying to think about inappropriate movies for us. And our dad had a friend named Terry, who sadly has passed away. He was a really great guy. And he actually gave me a CD when I was in high school. Side note, he gave me a CD of the Love album, Forever Changes. Oh, wow. And it was like Arthur Lee. And it was like, I was really into punk and hardcore. And I remember actually really liking that record and still like it. Like, it was such a cool gift to give like a teenage kid, I feel like. And, you know, this is probably in the 90s. So I always appreciate that about Terry. But he maybe didn't have the best judgment when it came to babysitting. And I remember... He lived with us for like a couple months or something he did i remember him being around and one time our parents were out and he put on this movie and to look it up was called the reanimator oh god are you familiar with this movie joe very familiar based off an hp lovecraft story that is a very visually disgusting film (laughs) yeah so it came out in 85 and i don't know if i saw it in 85 but it's possible i was probably like five or six but i remember like watching this movie and there was some scene where like a robot like latched on some guy's face or something. And I remember it like terrified me for like many years, I think. Yeah, I remember sitting in the living room with you guys and I remember he was watching some movie, might have been the same movie, but it was like a horror movie where they were in like a dark basement or something and some guy like took another guy's hand and like forced his fingers all the way back. That sounds like Reanimator. It could have been (laughs) Reanimator. And I just remember being like so freaked out and just like being like, I got to get out of this room. And then just sort of like staying out of the living room for the whole time he was staying with us because he was constantly watching like really scary movies. I mean, listen, I like Reanimator. I really do. I enjoy that movie. It's an important horror movie. That's fucked up. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's just fucked up. <laughs> it's a fucked up movie and it's fucked up the show to kids. That's all. Yeah. Well, it's so funny too because like I remember our parents, which is maybe why I thought you were going to say that the movies that you saw like had a lesson in them. Like I remember our parents were going to take us to go see kids when it came out. We were getting ready to go. And then our parents like read something about like what it was about. And then they were like, uh, we're not going to take you to see it. Like we don't want you guys to see it. You don't want to see a guy date rape somebody with AIDS at the end of a movie as a kid. Yeah. Oh, it's fair. Yeah. Yeah. But Terry had no problem showing us reanimators. So. Sure. Why not? I mean, honestly, in some ways it's less disturbing than the end of kids. As far as the grounding element, my mom also took me to see like sling blade when it came out, which I was still like, definitely not like a teenager yet. I don't think. Cause when did sling blade come out? 
could look it up really quick. Either way, she took me to see Blair Witch when it came out. Okay. Wow. Like in the theater. Did you think Blair Witch was real when it came out? Because I definitely did. I wasn't sure. Okay. And that was part of why the movie was so popular. It was the first ever, I think, I could be wrong, but I feel like it was at least the first ever successful found footage horror movie. Yeah. We for sure thought it was real when Everyone thought it, it came was real. out. Yeah. Until those guys went on like a late night show, the directors, and you're like, oh, these are directors. This is a movie. They're on a late night. Oh, it's not real. Yeah. But the ending of that movie of just her standing in the corner while somebody screams. To me, that's what horror is about. It's not about the seeing. It's about not seeing and not knowing and the terror that you feel on the edge of your seat. Because when you see the monster, it's sort of spoiled at the end of the day. Right, 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 right. Well, I've never seen it, but I remember it coming out. And I remember I I was like a camp counselor at the time at an overnight camp. I think there was this really bad camper we had and we kind of somehow used Blair Witch to like scare her into like behaving. (laughs) But I think we eventually told her that it wasn't real, but we were just... It's not real. She was just a real nightmare. Did you make her watch the movie by herself in a room? (laughs) No, we were like, the Blair Witch is outside, so you have to like behave because like we're getting like little clues from the Blair Witch. So you have to like stay in the cabin and like behave or, you know, and she was like, okay. Sounds exactly like counselor behavior. (laughs) Yeah. I did my time and yeah, we got told a lot of things that weren't true just so we would stop fucking around. At every overnight camp, there's also like a horror story about like the lake has like a boat in it with an old sailor. And like every night he comes out of the boat and like makes a campfire and then goes to bed. Yeah, it's always some sort of like Friday the 13th adjacent story. They did it best. So just aimed that. It'll scare kids. What kind of movies, Joe, were you into sort of like as a kid, like aside from were you into horror movies or like what kind of stuff were you watching? Like I was, but like I couldn't just easily get horror movies. Yeah. But I mean, I did watch like Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, Friday the 13th, Halloween, all the classics. I was watching all that stuff. My dad got me like into all the Mel Brooks stuff, National Lampoon, Monty Python, so I was watching a lot of that. I'd even go to like the video store and like rent like old SNL stuff, like old Eddie Murphy stuff and Andy Kaufman stuff. I was very obsessed with that. Star, I say Star Wars already. A lot of Star Wars. No. Over and over again. Tons of Star Wars. Not Star Trek, even though I like Star Trek. I just never really got like deep into it. I was never an ant. I was never like, a, it's either this or that. It's weird. Like my dad, I think it's like he's not a cinephile necessarily, but he just saw every good movie that came out in the theaters when they came out. So like, you know, I remember he gave me like a list of movies like Last Temptation of Christ and like 2001 A Space Odyssey and all these like great films. And I remember one spring break going to the video store and renting all of them and moving all the furniture in my living room and turning it into like a kind of cave, putting like a blanket over the TV and just putting on each movie and just watching all of them. Wow. I was way too young to be watching like Last Temptation of Christ, but like I wanted to watch it. And so I got into all these cool, weird movies and good comedies and classic films through my dad and then horror through my mom. Because I think she had lived such a dark, fucked up life that the lesson there is that she found some sort of like company in that misery of horror. And I think that's some of what draws people to horror, I think, specifically is relating to some of the misery. Oh, that horrible thing sort of happened to me in a way too. I feel a little less alone knowing this like movie has been made about the subject to a degree. That's why people like, I think like, that movie, The Babadook, which I didn't like at all. I thought the movie fucking sucked. But people like the abuse element. I think they like related very heavily to that. And so they did have that that theme really well embedded. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, lots of weird movies. Lots of stuff. Cinephile-y shit, yeah. And then the screen was on all the time. A lot of TV. 
just in front of that all the time. I've also heard with horror movies that people watch them because it's a lot of times if people have like fears, they're able to sort of like play through them in horror movies. Like they are able to sort of like watch them happen and kind of like resolve. And that is like sort of helpful for people too. Like an exposure therapy. Yeah, like an exposure thing. Exactly, exactly. I'm sure there are a lot of therapeutic elements. I enjoy seeing twisted, scary things now at this point. I just want to be scared. So like for me now, it's like it really takes a special kind of horror movie to go, wow, yeah, that's going to give me a nightmare because it's very hard now. It's one I saw recently called Anything for Jackson that gave me straight up nightmares. Wow. It's on Shudder if you want to try it or don't. I never will. I definitely don't. <laughs> Joe, did you have any phase, you know, I feel like what were also so big in that time was like the Steven Seagal, Van Damme <laughs> action movies. That was something I was really into. Did you go through that at all? Or it sounds like you were a little higher brow. No, no, I liked it all. I also love Die Hard. Okay. I'm obsessed with like all the Die Hard movies and Schwarzenegger. I love Schwarzenegger. Everything. I love Predator. I had a, actually a hardcore obsession with Terminator 2. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For a long time. Like I had it on VHS. I wore the tape out. I lost it. But there is like an elementary school photo of me wearing a Terminator 2 shirt that's like extra large. So it goes down to like nearly my ankles. Like that big. <laughs> I wanted to be John Connor. I thought Edward Furlong. And that movie was like the coolest dude ever. And I wanted yeah, to be same. him. Yes. Yeah. His friend was the guy from Salute Your Shorts, right? Danny Cooksey from Bad for Good. Budnick, yeah. Budnick, yep. And he played Guns N' Roses in it. Yeah. And then, of course, the You Could Be Mine video. Yeah. The You Could Be Mine video, yep. We've talked about this on here before. He's carrying a box of roses and the roses fall out and there's a gun under it. Yes. In the Guns N' Roses video. Yes. You've probably heard that our cousin's Ricky Rackman, but... Oh, I wanted to talk about that. That's more what I wanted to talk about than anything. I didn't br- bring that up sure. to your producer, but that's what I want the subject to be because I think that's fucking cool. Yeah, it's whatever. <laughs> We're pretty excited about yeah, it. Yeah, no big deal. NBD, no big deal. I think it's, it's fucking great. But I guess we talked about Guns N' Roses with our cousin Ricky Rackman, who's friends with them. I listened to that episode of your podcast and it was fucking fascinating stuff he had to say. <laughs> you know, he's so down to earth. Sorry. Yeah. Joe, you also have, you know, for people who don't know, a ton of metal cred. I remember you taking me wants to see Anthrax with Megadeth and Slayer. And like, you were obviously in a band with- Do we go to Nassau together? Is that- I think so. Yeah. I think so. Many years ago. Is that when we went like backstage? I remember like Dave Mustaine like walked to stage, but he's wearing like a cape (laughs) and like pancake makeup. I was like, what the fuck? is He looked like Count Dracula. Yeah, Dave Mustaine was in this little room, the guitar player Megadeth, and he was playing along. They were doing, I think, Rust in Peace. And he was like, just shredding. And you're like, oh my God, David Stane's playing. He didn't talk to anyone. I have a distinct memory. Yeah. And he was wearing this crazy makeup. He walked down the hall, didn't talk to anyone. And then this little kid walked past him and he just gave this little kid a high five and kept walking. Oh, cute. So cool. He had a cape on, right? I think he had a cape I on. think he had a cape on, but I remember, yeah, you were obviously you're still in the damn things. And it was like, I got to like meet Scott Ian and all this stuff. And so it's like, I mean, Ricky Rackman, obviously, you know. She got the real cred. You're both cool and we have a lot of cred. But you also, I mean, you know, in a band with Anthrax guys, I mean, that's pretty legit as well, Joe. I'll never feel legitimate about it, but I mean, they're awesome guys and I love Scott so much. I love Charlie. I love Frank. All the guys in the band are great. They're just good people. And uh, yeah, I've gotten to hang out with some interesting folk in metal that I grew up admiring. I just feel like a little kid when I'm around them. I'm like, yeah, cool. This is awesome. Like hanging out like near guys in Metallica. And I'm like, oh my God. I mean, I think most people would feel that way around guys in Metallica since they're like on another stratosphere of popularity. But yeah, cool stuff. You know, 
cool to get to put like a couple toes in that world and sort of be allowed to be in it. I mean, I remember Damn Things won a Metal Hammer Golden God Award and I went up to accept it and I couldn't have gotten more booze. Really? (laughs) (laughs) They weren't very excited about the guy from Fall Boy coming up to win a Metal Award, but I was like, "Eh, sorry guys, (laughs) I won this. I don't know what to do. So I'm still proud of it. Yeah, they weren't happy, but I was, it, it was like the UK. They're a little more in your face about that stuff. So, right. Who was the most like intimidated you were to meet, like in this kind of metal world, would you say? Like, I had one night where I had like dinner and went to go see UFO with Kirk Hammett. Okay. And it was like very intimidating, but he's such a like a nice guy that eventually, you know, he sort of disarmed me with his niceness. I was like, oh, he's just another like kind of nerdy horror guitar guy. And, right. Uh, that was cool. But there's so many times I'm like, I'm fucking hanging out with Kirk Hammett right now. This is insane. It was terrifying. And then at one point, like he brought me up to the box where like all of Metallica is at. And I'm like, I gotta go. And I just like, <laughs> I just like left. I was like, this is too much. Have you ever considered doing some kind of monster type documentary about Fall Out Boy? I would be totally down to do any of that stuff. I know the rest of my band would never be into it. <laughs> I'm so open. I'm so crazy open. I do not care. The only thing I'm protective over is like my family, like my wife and my kids, but like, like my band is, it's public domain. So I don't really care. And I honestly don't care about sharing my personal stuff. I mean, I wrote a fucking book <laughs> about it and I'm very <laughs> open, very candid about it. But I think the guys in the band are like a little more private and just different personality wise. And I respect that. We actually had, a lot of people don't know this. I don't know if I mentioned this in the book or not, but Albert Mazels came out and filmed some stuff with us that we actually never ended up using. But I mean, that guy's like, you know, he made Grey Gardens and like filmed the Beatles coming to America, you know? Yeah. The Stones concert where security murdered people. You know, like he did everything. And mostly he and I, just, he, was an, he was an elderly Jewish man and I was a young Jewish man and I would just smoke weed and talk to him all the time. And I was like, man, eh, I relate best to this very old Jewish man more than I do anybody else. I used, he was a wonderful guy, but we never did anything with that. We tried a couple times to do documentaries, but I just don't think anyone really wants to do it. And that's fine. I don't think it'll ever happen. But who knows? Maybe this will kick it off. Maybe, maybe. We'll be right back with Joe Troman after this break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. All right, we are back. So, Joe, now we are going to play a little game. Okay. It's called Change.Dork. <laughs> Change.Dork. And it's basically, are you familiar with Change.Org? Yeah, yeah, it's like a campaign kind of sign petitions and such. Yeah. Yes. So I think created for the purpose of, you know, social justice, social change. A lot of people have used it for petitions that aren't so crucial, I guess, or so important, kind of more niche And so I scoured it. I found three really interesting petitions. We're going to discuss them. And then at the end, you're going to pick the one petition out of these three that you would sign. Okay. I can kick things off. Sure. First one I found is called Domino's Needs to Bring Back Deep Dish, Even If It's Limited. So this one is directed, I believe, towards Domino's. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 259 people have signed. They're trying to get to 500. The summary just says, you know, Domino's had the best deep dish pan pizza ever. They took it away and gave us a new lame version of a pan pizza that's exactly like Pizza Hut, soggy with grease, with more grease on the side. The deep dish pizza they had had the softest crust ever, twice as thick as the current pan. And the best part of all was the outer crust had this awesome crispy crunch. Hard to explain, but trust me, it was amazing. LOL, OMG, and let's not forget the zesty seasoning on the whole bottom of the pizza. I used to order two to three times a week. But kind of goes on, this guy loved this Domino's deep dish pizza. really thought about this. (laughs) Yes, it, it goes on and on. Good for this guy. So, you know, you are a Chicago guy. Pizza, deep dish. What do you think about Domino's deep dish? Did you ever have it? I have a nuanced answer to this. Okay, okay, great. So first off, Domino's, uh, you guys probably remember Domino's used to be garbage. Yes. It's gotten a lot better. Have you had it more recently? I didn't know that. It really has. The crust to me was like cardboard. It was just disgusting. I mean, the sauce is still whatever, but listen, they've redone the crust. It's soft. It's doughy. It's moist. It's pretty good. They throw... Excess amounts of cheese on there. So if you're giving me soft, moist dough with a lot of cheese, I'll eat it. So for my daughter's eighth birthday, she wanted Domino's for dinner. So we got Domino's for dinner. And my wife got me their cheesy bread sticks. And they were really, 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 really good. That being said, that being said, I am from Chicago and I don't respect Domino's deep dish. I'm not going to sign that petition. I don't give a shit. 
at the end of the day. Well, wait till you hear the other ones, but. <laughs> okay, well, maybe I'll sign that one. Is the other one Unsave the Whales? Well, <laughs> <laughs> what about, is Uno's, is that legit deep dish or no? They say it's from Chicago, but I don't know. I think I've been to, because I lived in Chicago for like six years after college. Yeah. Uno's, I do think, was one of the like deep dish chain. It's like Uno's. And it started in Chicago. Yeah. And we had like an Uno's in Cleveland growing up. And I feel like this is like a mystery and something that I'm sure Jonah and I will spend hours upon hours. I hope so. In a rabbit hole looking up. But like we had an Uno's, but I don't think they were like, did they have deep dish pizza? I don't think they did. I think they did. I think we just never ordered it. Got it. Nobody orders deep dish pizza. Yeah. That's the reality. I remember Anthony Bourdain, when he had, I think there's no reservations, he went did like a Chicago episode and one that had like deep dish that I've actually never heard of. Like somewhere that's like in somewhere like on like Blue Island or something somewhere. Oh, interesting. But either way, some like supposed to be renowned, never had it before. And I've had pretty much all of like, you know, Giordano's, Malnati's, all the stuff. Yeah, Malnati's. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, Malnati's is great. That's my favorite. He had it and he goes, you know, this is great. It's not pizza. It's more like a lasagna. And I don't totally disagree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's not pizza by the true definition of pizza. If you go from like Italian style pizza and connect that to like New York is the only analog of pizza style in America that is pizza. Otherwise, but I love deep dish. I fucking love it. There's a place out here. Have you had Masa pizza in Neko Park? No. It's incredible. It's deep dish pizza? Deep dish. I think the person that owns it, he's a baker by trade, but he worked at all the places in Chicago. So he knows what goes into those pizzas. And honestly, for me, it rivals Lou Malnati's. It's phenomenal. Wow. That's really high praise. I love it. I remember getting Lou Malnati's and Giordano's and I think Deep Dish at Uno too, the Chicago one. It's really good, but it's also like you're making a commitment to eating basically like a cheese pie. Like it's so much, it's like so tough on your stomach. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've gotten in Chicago too. Can I eat more than like one slice? Like I'm just too full. Yeah. I eat fast so I can wolf down two or three before I get a horrible, horrible debilitating stomach ache. Nice. Thank you. I guess I'm wondering if Domino's deep dish isn't like as authentic. It can't be. In some ways, maybe there's like a happy medium there. Maybe. Where it tastes like pizza, but it's also like got just extra cheese on it. Like maybe the crime that they're committing is calling it deep dish pizza, but maybe whatever it is, is actually maybe good. That's such a nice way of looking at it. And you know what? I'm here for that. Yeah, I think, listen, at the end of the day, these other two petitions are god awful, but I'm signing the, I will literally go and sign the Domino's one, you know? I don't think it's going to come back to haunt me on Twitter. Right, 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 right. (laughs) All right, Vanessa, why don't you introduce the next one? Let's see what Joe thinks. So the next petition that Jonah found on change.org is for CFISD to allow vaping in the school bathrooms. This kid Chaz started it. He started this petition for to CFISD and to vapors. It's got 47 signatures. I'm just going to give you a little bit of what he wrote. People like to use the toilets in the jewel room, J-U-U-L, room Uh, and this is a serious issue yeah sometimes the assistant principals walk in and try to bust people which results in flushing of the jewels if people are using that toilet we can't flush our jewels fast enough there are talks of vape detectors being implemented in cfisd now i think this kid would have really helped himself if he would have clarified what cfisd is i looked it up it's a school district yeah Yeah, but i think jonah for people who aren't gonna look it up but (laughs) you know But anyway, there are talks of vape detectors being implemented in CFISD. This will not stand. 
Vaping helps students relieve the stress of the homework they receive and the tests every other week they have to do. Very specific test schedule every other week. Has this dude ever heard of like masturbation? That's also like a way to relieve (laughs) stress that's very harmless. It's actually good for your prostate. I understand teachers not wanting their rooms to smell like fruity pebbles and mints, but the bathrooms need the air fresheners. Keep the jewel room for the jewels. Okay. Keep the jewel for the jewels. There's a chant there. So also keep in mind, this petition was from three years ago, has 47 signatures. I think in the time census, jewels have been like universally banned. (laughs) They were universally banned before that. It was before the pandemic where like people were like, listen, these vaporizers, like they cause crystals in your lungs. They're very bad. It's not better than smoking a cigarette. Honestly, I'm sure it was the same for you guys. In high school, all the kids that smoked would go out to like a, corner area somewhere. There's the smoking kids. They just all go there. They weren't told they couldn't smoke because it's a little bit off of school property. That's what they would do. You know, it's gross, but respectful. They weren't smoking inside. Right. No, I think there's other ways to relieve stress. I mentioned one option, but don't do it at school. <laughs> maybe, <Yeah. laughs> you know, teach their own, but probably not in this, in this social climate. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not for it. I don't think, <laughs> but we'll see. I'm more for the dominoes thing. You're more for the dominoes. Can you think of a petition that might affect your life less than this one? <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. I don't know. It's a small thing, you know? It's like, it's so small. This kid's world is literally the school district and possibly just the school. Right. He's so unaware of the rest of the world that he doesn't give us context as to what, what CFZIQDSD is. I mean, I gathered instantly just because I'm so used to taking my kids to school and getting school emails. I was like, okay, that's a school or a school district. I get it. But like people 10 years younger than us reading that are going to go. I mean, they're probably not reading it at the end of the day. How many signatures does it have? 47. 47. They're trying to get to 100. Halfway there. I kind of want to help. Halfway there. Well, no, change.org is saying if you get to 100, that'll be huge for you. Change.org is going to keep moving the goals post. They have to get 100. They're going to say 500. I think they can get as many signatures as they want. I don't think the teachers were going to make this. Yeah, well, I just think that's so funny. Instead of bringing it up in schools, whoever this is, that they're going to go on change.org. They're going to start a petition. They're going to email it to their friends. Why does he have to do it in the bathroom? Why can't he go outside also? There's just a lot of whys. I'm asking a lot of questions. There was a petition when we were in eighth grade that there was a new teacher who was actually one of our friends who we've mentioned on here's mom. And I remember it was so mean. She was like a substitute teacher. She was a new teacher. And people in my grade passed around a petition that they didn't want her to be a teacher anymore at the school. And she was fine. She was like a great teacher. It was just that, I don't know if she was newer because there was a kid in our grade, who his mom, who was also like not a disliked kid. Anyways, the point is, I think it made its way back to her. And it was like, so I even remember as a kid being like, this is probably hurting her. Like, so so hurtful to her. Like kids are just so mean, like to pass around a petition for this teacher to like get fired that like is actually doing a good job. And it was just like some kid decided to be mean, you know, like, listen, you know, that's a time in our lives where our brains are changing vastly and there's so many odd chemicals kind of moving and regulating and we're all kind of a little psychopathic and sociopathic. Yeah, I like, think so too. I think so too. That having been said, this jewel petition is maybe, that petition is still better than this jewel petition, but. <laughs> maybe, yeah. I don't know. And I mean, listen, I don't see a lot of upsides to the jewel thing. I just, I, as someone that gets very stressed out, highly medicated for anxiety and other things. 
and listen, I was a heavy smoker for a while and I once in a while smoke weed, but not really much anymore. I believe there are other ways to relieve stress than going to the jewel room to smoke a jewel. <laughs> Plus, like if you're going to spend all that money on a jewel and you get a flush, I mean, you know, they're not even thinking about like, that's going to clog the toilet. Right. Some like poor, poor, like school janitors going to have to fucking get it out. They're not thinking about anybody <laughs> but themselves. And again, that's a teenager. I'm sorry. They're fucking sociopathic. It's natural, but no. Well, also like this kid's calling it the jewel room, but to a lot of people is probably the bathroom. And they probably, probably the just wanted yeah. to like be able to like use the bathroom and not have a bunch of kids smoking jewels around them. Yeah, like no one wants to like take a shit and smell fucking vapor at the same time. Yeah. Just nobody wants to do that. Yeah. I mean, sh- shitting is a thing enough on its own, you know? a lot to deal with right there, in my opinion. So does it seem like we're all kind of not for that? We're not really for it, but we have to hear the third one first. This is the last one. Okay, here we go. I'm actually very, very curious to get your thoughts on this one. I'm excited about this one. This one is called Bring Michael Keaton Back as Batman. Oh, yeah. This is a little older one, too. This says... With, a few years ago, yeah. With Ben Affleck no longer playing the Cape Crusader, who agrees that Michael Keaton should consider playing an older Bruce Wayne Batman. This person grew up watching Keaton play Batman, had the action figures bedspread. During his years growing up, it's changed five times. Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, George Clooney, Christian Bale, and Ben Affleck. Instead of rebooting the franchise, I believe we should watch an older Bruce Wayne fight crime with the original actor who started in 1989, Michael Keaton. Keaton has expressed interest in starring a sequel to Beetlejuice. Let's show our support on finding a director, hopefully Tim Burton, who can develop a solid script that piques Michael Keaton's interest for a Batman sequel. Who agrees? Joe, what do you think? So here's the thing. We have Pattinson now, right? Yeah. Did you guys see The Batman? Have not seen it. Didn't see it. I saw some of it and then I didn't finish it. Why? Because it's three hours long? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I overall really like Pattinson. I'm a fan of him anyway. I think he's really shamed for doing the Twilight movies, but then he picked like nothing but great indie movies to be in. He's clearly very smart, clearly very good actor. I love seeing a year two Batman like, he's only two years into being Batman. He hasn't figured out how to be Bruce Wayne. He's kind of a bit of a brutal Batman. He's just into, like, just beating up criminals without, like, any sort of real reasoning past, you murdered my parents, and that's it. And so that kind of makes him also just kind of bad at being Batman at the same time. I really like that. So I enjoyed this. That being said, I'd love to see Keaton back. I think Keaton did or is coming back for some sort of Batman thing. Obviously, this is older than okay. what has happened. I'm pretty sure he is. The way comic books work, and obviously they're different than movies and TV, but still, it's a comic book character. There's all these different arcs that can exist at the same time, and you can buy into each one as its own thing. There's been so many different arcs for Batman as it is. I don't see any reason why Keaton can't come back and play a kind of Dark Knight, Frank Miller, sort of older, more grizzled. You know, kind of the Batman that Ben Affleck did in the Batman versus Superman, which that movie is a piece of garbage, but he his Batman is great in that. I'd love to see Keaton do that. That'd be fucking awesome. Okay. I think I like it more than pizza. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Well, how do you guys feel about it? That's great. You have a lot of great insights. I was thinking about, I always felt Keaton was like a little hard for me to buy as like an action star, something about him. And then I think I figured out why. I was telling Vanessa earlier, I don't know if you remember this movie he was in. It's called My Life. No. It's from 1993. It's him and Nicole Kidman. It's a very depressing movie. And it's basically, he gets diagnosed with cancer. His wife, I think, is pregnant and like he wants to like live to see his child be born. It's a very like emotional movie. 
It came out in 1993. I went to the theater to see this movie with a bunch of my friends talking about <laughs> inappropriate movies. That's a good choice. It's a good bros film. <laughs> we were talking during the movie, laughing, making jokes. And I literally remember a guy coming up and yelling at us and him using the phrase, I'm not afraid of you guys. Like you're ruining the movie. Like people are crying. It's this emotional movie. And just us behaving totally inappropriately. And I think after that, I never really saw Keaton the same or something. He got tainted for you. And I really wish I could go back and, and apologize to those people and like refund their money because I completely ruined this like very emotional experience by being like a dumb kid, which really tracks with basically everything we've said during this episode. <laughs> I had a similar thing happen to me not very long ago where <laughs> I was the adult yelling at teenagers in a movie. Do you guys see that movie Mandy? that came out with Nicolas Cage. No. no. It's Panos Cosmatos movie. It's a horror film about this guy taking revenge on these kind of cultists that kill his wife. Spoiler for those that are listening. I should have said spoiler first. She lives. Watch it. <laughs> anyway, so his wife gets like brutally murdered in front of him. He narrowly escapes. Cage goes back into his house and he like screams and breaks shit. And these teenagers are like, Cage Rage! Cage Rage! And laughing. <laughs> and I got out of my seat because I was really enjoying the movie. And I went down and said, shut the fuck up. His wife just died. You fucking slobs. <laughs> and I just stared at them. <laughs> they shut up and they're quiet for the rest of the movie. Because <laughs> I was like so invested in the moment. Right. I get so like invested when a movie grabs me and it grabs me. And then someone t- like, I fucking hate when people talk to her. Yeah. It drives me. I hate when someone crunches a bet. I remember going to go see up in 3D <laughs> when I was living in New York, I think. And a guy was just eating fucking chips out of a bag behind me. I had to turn around and be like, come on, man, the chips. And yeah, I just, I can't stand it. So yeah, I was that guy to a bunch of teenagers just trying to have fun and enjoy some cage rage. That being said, <laughs> I understand your take on Keaton. Vanessa. <laughs> well, Jonah, I want to release some of your guilt about that experience you had at that movie because I've had that experience where people have done that, have been talking or like whispering during Broadway shows, like when you're at a Broadway show. And if you think about it, the tickets for Broadway shows, like that's like someone might be paying like $400 for their ticket. Right, right, Whereas right. the movie is pretty affordable. So think about that. Like That's true. Even though like those people maybe didn't have the greatest experience at that movie, at least they weren't like throwing a ton of money into it. That's true. But nowadays it's like 20 bucks for a ticket. That might be like... If you did it now, it would be worse. <laughs> it's worse now. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. Yeah. No, I mean, I've also been a teenager being a dickhead at a movie. So, I mean, I've been on both sides. It's weird. Now I'm afraid of teenagers. Oh, me too. They're the scariest. They're so scary. A hundred percent. If a teenager says anything nice to me, I'm like, really? Cool. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I had an experience recently where I drove to a gas station. There were a bunch of teens hanging at the gas station, which is a very teen thing to do. You know, hang in front of a bowling alley, a gas station, parking lot for supermarket, just somewhere that is public space. <laughs> they were intimidating. No, but I left the gas station and didn't get gas. and went to another <laughs> gas station. I was afraid of them. I was like, what if they fucking jump me? Like, why would they jump me? Both of you, they probably think are cool. They're probably no. like fans of what both of you do. No? I don't know. Maybe, but it would be scary if they weren't. <laughs> and also, I remember once recently, I was at a coffee shop and I had these like Adidas shoes on. They're really old and they're really dirty. And this teenager came up to me and she was like, I like your shoes. They're cool. And I was like, oh, yeah, they're really dirty. And she was like, no, that makes them cool. And I was like, 
whoa, (laughs) I got to wear these shoes every day. Writing this down, dirty shoes. It was like a moment of me being like, am I going to be scared of this teenager or not? And she was nice. And it was like, this is the best compliment I've ever gotten in my life. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I have a teenage step niece and I'm like, I want her to think I'm cool so badly. But I also sent her a bunch of like, she wants to get like more into like reading scary books. I sent her like my favorite Stephen King book. She sent me like a handmade thank you note. And I was like, this is so fucking cool. I like put it away. Like this teenager thinks I'm cool and thought I recommended her something cool. Fuck yeah, dude. Back at it. Wow. Yeah. Then cut to like listening to Portishead on tape, just being like, oh, <laughs> fucking old. I had something happen where we were out with our puppy and this girl came up and she was like, oh, your puppy's so cute. What's their name? And I was like, oh, her name is Lupin. And the girl just went, that's sick. <laughs> after Harry Potter? <laughs> Not after Harry Potter, after the flower. Oh, the flower? I don't know if she thought because of Harry so I'm reading Harry Potter to my daughter right now. There's a Professor Lupin character. People under a certain age all think it's Harry Potter. Right. And then over a certain age or into maybe more horticulture think it's a plant. There's also a Netflix series named Lupin. Yeah. Is that based off the horticulture aspect? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But I just felt that the reaction that's sick. I was like, oh, you mean that's a compliment? <laughs> that's sick. Yeah, that's sick. Like not disgusting and yeah, putrid and contagious. So funny. Vanessa, you never said how you feel about Keaton as Batman. Oh, how I feel. I feel good about the progression that the Batmans have taken. I would be open to it. I just think... I guess I'm open to it is the point. It's interesting that this person making the petition was like, let's think of a really great director we can get to like get Michael Keaton on board. The only way I would want it to happen is if Michael Keaton was like wanting to do it. Like I wouldn't want him to begrudgingly be like, let's do it. But like, we got to figure out a way to get him to do it. It's like Michael Keaton. Sure. But you have to find where he is. You have to plan a Michael Keaton heist. (laughs) Get him to a studio. Yeah. Yeah. And also fan service is kind of, I'm not loving fan service, you know? I mean, that's what a lot of, with all this MCU stuff, it's a lot of fan service, fan service, fan service. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. You know what? I know what I'm going to sign. Okay. So what are you going to sign? Let's go through and say what each of us is going to sign. I'm going to do the pizza. Whoa. I know. Can I tell you why? Please, please do. Really full circle. It's full circle. I think it's the most realistic. The guy is the most passionate about it. I think at the end of the day, like I just said, as much as I do love the idea of Keaton coming back as Batman, and I think he might be for something, or at least just as Bruce Wayne, I don't know about those fan service. It's a bummer. I like things when they are made organically. As much as I like to sit back and listen to my Portishead tapes, I enjoy when like there are new things out there. I like Pattinson's Batman. I would totally, I think Keaton can exist at the same time. Pizza's more realistic. And you know what? To Vanessa's point, I think maybe they call it deep dish, but it's probably just a fatter pizza. And it's probably, considering what Domino's has done, it's probably pretty good. And you know what? Give everybody a chance to enjoy what they think is deep dish. Give it to the world or America. Love that. Wow. Yeah. Vanessa, what do you think? Oh, what do I think? I'm going to go with pizza too. I think it's like when you're used to seeing Michael Keaton in a certain way as Batman, I was thinking about this more just now. You know, he's not going to be the same Batman he was years and years ago. And I think like, let him play new roles. Like he's an incredible actor. Let's see what else he can do. You know, hundred percent. obviously the vaping thing is not even legal. Wouldn't be even be allowed if this petition got a hundred signatures. We're all passionate about it, but I just don't think it's possible. <laughs> right. Exactly. So I'm going to go with pizza too. And sort of to a point that you brought up, Joe, I do like the idea that like, Let's let the world have deep dish pizza, not just those of us who've lived in Chicago. And is it going to definitely be authentic deep dish pizza like Chicago? No, but 
who's to say what is authentic, you know, except I guess people in Chicago. But also, (laughs) it sounds like it might be pretty good. Jonah? Yeah, I'm also going with the pizza. I haven't tried Domino's in a long time. I'm interested. I do remember them having an ad campaign where they were like, our pizza's different now. Like, we know it was bad. Like, Joe says it is, and I trust Joe's opinion. Thank you. So I would try it. And if the deep dish was an option, I don't know. Maybe I would try the deep dish. So I think it's similar to Joe. I think it's realistic. The jewel thing doesn't affect my life at all. Keaton, I still, you know, it's hard for me to buy him as an action star, even though I think he's a very talented actor. So yeah, I'm going with the Domino's deep dish petition. We're going to get it up to 462 signatures or I'm something. I'm going to sign it. I think I'm going to sign yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way it comes back to bite any of us. Cut to out of work. <laughs> <laughs> the blabbermouth headline. Joe signs Domino's Pizza petition started by worst pedophile ever. You know, something like that. That's just where my brain goes. I'm sorry I went there. Yeah, hopefully not. But yeah, I'm going to sign it. Sounds like we're all signing. Domino's needs to bring back deep dish pizza, even if it's limited. Yes. And Joe, I'm saying this could be a blabbermouth headline. Joe Troman advocates for Domino's deep dish and there will be a bunch of weird quotes from this podcast and we can that's the headline Vanessa you know that your brother and myself and one (laughs) other person are on a text chain where we just share blabbermouth do you know blabbermouth no okay so blabbermouth (laughs) is a gossip news I'm using air quotes site started I believe it's started by Roadrunner Records I could be wrong but I believe they're affiliated with blabbermouth or were at one time and it's all for like hard rock and heavy metal news. It's like, (laughs) Carrie King from Slayer doesn't like his stand socks anymore. It's like just stuff (laughs) like that. And you're like, what the fuck is this? This is insane. Like, you know, like James Hetfield unleashes Papa Het guitar strings. You're like, oh my God, where where was it? I needed this news my whole life. So that's anyway, that's Blabbermouth for you. And I think we could say our friend Brian Diaz, because Brian has talked about our love of Blabbermouth headlines on Twitter. And it's really fun. But this is the type of thing that would be a headline, even though it's such an obscure thing. Joe Shulman fights tooth and nail to bring back deep dish pizza. Yeah, (laughs) I'll get 20 views. Easy. (laughs) Well, Joe, aside from this blabbermouth headline, where can people find you? Find me like at my address? All right, here we go. (laughs) No, like if they want to follow you, what projects are you? So I'm not super active on social media because it's made me feel bad about myself, but you can follow me at, I think, at Troman on Twitter or at J Troman on Instagram. I do not have any sort of Facebook-y things. I guess Instagram is Facebook. I have a uh, book coming out on Hachette Publishing. The book is called None of This Rocks. It comes out. I believe September 16th or 17th. I should have that, but mid-September. That's something you can pre-order it now with places like Amazon and Barnes and Noble and book websites. And Brian Posan and I wrote a comic for Heavy Metal Magazine called The Axe, and that's available now. Comes out monthly. There's uh, six issues that come out in the magazine. It'll eventually be probably collected. And if you're a comic nerd, that's you know you get how it works. I think that's it. I mean, I'm doing shows with Fallout Boy, but. Go to those. They're happening. Yeah. (laughs) Joe, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Thanks for asking me for having me. I really appreciate it. No, and I was thinking too, like my old podcast, Going Off Track, you did our very first episode in 2013. Wow. Mm -hmm. I believe, or maybe even earlier. So it really feels like you've always been such a great 
supporter of the Bears and our podcast. I'm a huge fan of the Bears. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Thank you so, so much. Ah, thanks for having me. I feel uh, Jewish Cleveland closeness. Yes. Yes. Yes, for sure. I feel it too. Joe, thanks so much for coming by the podcast. If you like this, you can rate it, you can subscribe, and keep an eye out for next week's episode of How Do We Get Weird, where we will discuss more stories from our childhood and cultural milestones like inappropriate movie memories. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.